Hey, hey, welcome in everyone to episode one. That's right. This is the very first episode of the Right as Ryan podcast. This is the maiden voyage of your newest and soon to be most favorite sports podcast. I am your host, Ryan Atkerson. First off, I just want to say, man, how great was it to witness a real live NFL football game this last week? Ladies and gentlemen, we have officially made it through the harsh and unforgiving desert that is the NFL and college football offseason, and now there will be NFL or college football games on every single weekend from now until February. That's right. You heard it. Congratulations, everyone. We did it. Another year down. Now, I know it was just a preseason game where Derek Carr and Trevor Lawrence did not even sniff the field, but I watched every last minute of it. Mind you, while my wife sat on the couch in complete and utter boredom. But man, did I love what I saw. Now, this is also noteworthy because I am a Chiefs fan, which I wanted to get out in the open and out of the way during episode one because no, I'm not a homer, I promise. Yet somehow, watching the Raiders dominate was still a breath of fresh air because even watching the Raiders play in a meaningless preseason game, is better than watching the third round of the Valspar Championship. No matter what golfers are playing, I do not care. Also, I'm just saying, but that Chase Garbers kid, that's an undrafted free agent, man, he was honestly looking all right out there. I know, I know, you're going to tell me about the competition he was facing at that point in the game. I absolutely get it, and I somewhat agree. But still. Sometimes you can just tell when someone looks a little bit different out there, regardless of the competition, and really that he may have something in him. Now, this kid was a four-year starter at Cal after all, so let's not pretend he doesn't have some real experience under his belt. (laughs) Anyway, I digress. As you can see in here already, just in the beginning intro of episode one, I absolutely love, and I cannot... Iterate this and reiterate this enough. I love everything about football and sports in general. Even if it is about a player on my favorite team's absolute arch nemesis, like the Raiders. But anyway, let's move on, though, to the real show. I could not be more excited to start this new journey off right. So, without further ado, let's dive right into our first ever topic on the Right as Ryan podcast. Worst to first. Since 2002, there has been at least one team go from worst to first every single year, except 2014 and 2019. So it's more likely than not that this is going to happen again this year in the NFL. Now, with that thought in mind, let's go ahead and examine which teams qualify for the feat first, and then assess which ones I think have a realistic shot at reaching it. So first, The candidates for worst to first are the New York Giants, the Seattle Seahawks, the Detroit Lions, Carolina Panthers, New York Jets, the Denver Broncos, the Baltimore Ravens, and finally, the Jacksonville Jaguars. There are a few of these teams that I believe really do have a puncher's chance at grabbing their respective division's crown. I really do. Some of them, though, are already dead in the water. 
yeah, I'm looking at you, Seattle. Whether it be due to their current rosters, various injuries, bad luck, or even just the absolute juggernauts standing in their way within their division. Again, looking at you, Seattle. Now, first, we'll begin by discussing the New York Giants. Now, the Giants are really a wild card here because they hired Brian Dable, who I believe can get the franchise turned around, possibly even with Daniel Jones at the helm. And I really think he's one of the better hires in recent memory for the Giants. He's had a lot of success in his previous stays, especially up in Buffalo. I think he can really get it done. Now, they also have going for them that they play in a division that's largely struggled to find wins over the last several years. Yet, the Eagles and Cowboys really do seem to be on the rise. They've had some more success, but the division does seem to be sort of up for grabs, if you will. Now, take that for what it's worth, because it is possible that they can win, but it's really not etched in stone. And the Commanders, though, I won't talk too much about them because I don't want to make everyone's ears bleed but they really do seem like they're going to be a dumpster fire. And this is really unfortunate for me because I like Ron Rivera a lot. And I know this is going to be an unpopular take. So first of many, I'm sure. But I actually love Carson Wentz, the player. He has just had some issues. You know, he's, he makes some mistakes with the ball, that is for sure. But I think overall, he is a very good player and he can really make a team better but I just think it's a little too much to handle there in Washington. And I really think the commander's first season is, is going to be a struggle. The new name it's, you know, they're not really going to be able to take command of much. That's just my opinion, but that's what I anticipate. So regardless, the Giants should at least finish third, but they really do have a chance. If Brian Dable can bring the team together, they can rally around him. If he can get some more out of Daniel Jones, get him to his potential. I think they really have a shot at it. Next, we're going to move on to Seattle. So the Seahawks, as I mentioned before, they are going to struggle this year. They're essentially tanking without saying the words. And I know Coach Pete Carroll cannot have any interest in tanking whatsoever, but you lost Russell Wilson. Your roster's a little bit of a mess. You do have some bright spots, of course. You have Tyler Lockett. You know, you have DK Metcalf. You have the new running back coming in out of Michigan State that I think could actually make an impact pretty early on. But man, you have to run into the absolute buzzsaw that is the Niners, the Rams, and the Cardinals. The Niners just re-signed Debo Samuel. He's back in the fold. Trey Lance, I could do an entire other topic on Trey Lance because we just don't know yet. We don't know. He hasn't had that experience yet. I mean, what is he going to do? Jimmy Garoppolo, by all accounts, by all reports, is absolutely loved in the locker room. Basically, wherever he goes, he's loved. And when you're competing with that, I don't know how you as Trey Lance can really take over the team. But he's going to now. They came out, they publicly announced Shanahan, Lynch, they announced they are going to go with Trey Lance. So we're going to see what they have. But regardless, even if the Niners fall apart, I don't see any way they're even going to touch being competitive, especially against the Rams or Cardinals. I think those teams are just too much to handle and it's going to be too difficult. And finally... If you didn't think they were tanking, just look at their choices for quarterback right now. You have Geno Smith, who I think is an absolutely fantastic backup quarterback in the NFL. Then you have Drew Locke, who is a frustrating quarterback 
because he shows potential. He has spurts of efficiency, of effectiveness. He has the swagger. He has everything going for him. But then he makes really stupid mistakes at time that really should not be happening this far into his career. Now, I will give him a little bit of a break because some reports would say that Vic Fangio was not a fan and that it's very difficult to overcome as a young quarterback, as a young player in the NFL. The coach doesn't believe in you and doesn't want you to succeed. That is very difficult to overcome. So I do give him a little leeway there. Personally, I would like to see him be the starter and just see what he can do. Maybe he comes out and makes us all look like fools, absolutely shows us up. I think that would be really cool to see. And then you have Jacob Eason. That's going to be the third string. I don't think he's really going to be pushing for playing time anytime soon. There'd have to be a disaster happen for that to come into play. So I don't really know that you know he factors in all that much other than maybe just being a good locker room guy and helping out with team chemistry, that sort of thing. But again, I really think Seattle, they're not doing anything here whatsoever. Okay, next, we're going to move on to Detroit Lions. Now, the Lions, everyone, they are a fascinating team to me. Dan Campbell, yeah, he's a bit odd at the mic. You know, he has his moments. He's biting kneecaps. He's doing all the exercises with the team. But man, if, if the team rallies around him, you got to look back at last year. I think you can win with Jared Goff. Is Jared Goff Patrick Mahomes? No, he's not. Is he Justin Herbert? No. Is he Joe Burrow? No. But I don't think he has to be. He already led a team to the Super Bowl. I know they didn't win, but he led a team to the Super Bowl. You cannot be horrendously awful, I don't believe, and lead a team to a Super Bowl. So I think you can win with Jared Goff. But the issue is in finishing and closing. If you look back at last season, the Lions lost so many heartbreaking, painful last-second losses. And my goodness, can you all recall the game against the Ravens? where it took Justin Tucker to hit, what was that, a 60-yard field goal to get the win against them? The Lions have something there. They really do. They just drafted Jamison Williams. They drafted Aiden Hutchinson. I think they have a great young core there. They have DeAndre Swift still at running back. Jared Goff can lead the team, okay? So I don't think they're going to be able to go worse to first, but I could really see them making some improvements and just winning a couple more of those close games this year that they lost last year. Now, for them to go worse to first, I think you would have to have some type of utter disaster. You know, you'd have to have Kirk Cousins go down, Justin Jefferson fall off a cliff already up there in Minnesota for the Vikings. You'd have to have Aaron Rodgers just retire out of nowhere or tear an ACL or something, which, you know, that's a whole other story. I, He's on his hallucinogens and everything else going on, which is interesting, and it works for him, so good for him. You know, I'm not judging anyone. That's fantastic. Maybe that'll help him not get injured, but it would take something like that to me for the Lions to really make a push. And the Bears, Justin Field, that's a whole other thing. We don't know what we have in Justin yet, but I don't think the Bears are challenging either. So the Lions, I wouldn't say they really have a shot this year, but I think if they give Dan Campbell some time, He's really going to be able to do something and make something out of that roster. And I'm honestly excited to see it, even though I have no connection to the Lions whatsoever. No rooting interest, but I'm interested to see what they can do. Okay, next we're moving on to the Carolina Panthers. Now, this team is fascinating. And I'm sure all of you already know why. But the saga playing out in Cleveland, Baker Mayfield coming over, being traded to the Carolina Panthers for pennies on the dollar, going against Sam Darnold, 
They were draft mates, a couple of picks from each other, first pick in the draft, and I want to say third, fourth, somewhere in there for Sam Darnold. You know, neither of them have really panned out exactly to what everyone hoped. I think that's pretty obvious. But I will say, Baker, I believe in. Now, I think Baker can really get something done. Now, again, I'll admit I'm a little biased. I graduated from the University of Oklahoma, you know, Boomer Sooner, all that. So I do have a little bit going there. But he is objectively the better quarterback between him and Sam Darnold. Now, I think Sam seems like an absolutely fantastic guy. And he's probably better suited if pressed to be the backup because I don't think Baker Mayfield can work as a backup. I don't think his personality will allow it, at least not yet. And I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. So I know the reports out of camp have been, you know, it is a true quarterback competition. It's day to day. We're going to see how it's going. We're not going to announce a starter until I think they said maybe the second or last preseason game. And I get what they're doing. You know, Matt Rule needs to save his job. And I think Baker Mayfield is going to be the only play. I think we're going to find that he is going to play. And I think he's going to do rather well. But if I had to guess, by the end of the year, they're going to be somewhere around 500. And then Matt Rule may lose his job. I honestly don't hope he loses his job. I think he could have something if he has a little bit more time. He has been dealt a pretty bad hand when it comes to quarterbacks. Now, some of that was his own doing. Some of it just happened to him. But I think he is a good coach. He was great in college. You know, maybe he works better in the college game. That's yet to be seen. But I really think he has something there, and I think Baker could help him. But unfortunately, if I had to put a prediction out there, I would say they're probably going to go somewhere around 7 and 10, you know, 8 and 9, 9 and 8, somewhere in there. They're not going to make the playoffs. I wouldn't think they'd make the playoffs. I really don't. So I don't think they're going to go worse to first either. Next, we're going to talk about the New York Jets. Now, the Jets are absolutely fascinating to me. I love Zach Wilson. And yes, he has gotten a nice bump in the press here lately because of things that you know we don't have to get into all the details of. You can think what you like on that, but I, I know for a fact from my time in the Marine Corps that guys were going to love that. Whether you agree with it, hate it, doesn't matter. I can tell you with certainty that locker room is going to love the news, whether it's true or not. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, feel free to go look it up. Okay? But I believe in Zach Wilson. I think he has something there. I think his potential is off the charts. I think Robert Sala can be a great coach. I do. He's an adult in the room. You need an adult in the room, especially for a New York team. Now they play in New Jersey, but still. For a a quote-unquote New York team, you need an adult in the room. And I think he can fill that role. I think he can be a fantastic coach. I really do. You have Elijah Moore that should have a bounce-back season, should do really well moving forward. But I think Zach Wilson's going to be the key. You know, they got a great new running back. They got the great new receiver out of Ohio State. I think they have a shot at making some noise. Now, do I think they can go worse to first? No. But I think they're going to improve from last year. I really do. And we can get into a little bit more later. I know Mekhi Becton looks like reports today where he just injured his knee again. And so that's not looking really good which hurts Zach Wilson's prospects. I know that. But I think they're going to do better than last year, and hopefully Robert Sala can continue to make improvements and make in strides. Next is the Denver Broncos. So the Broncos are a really interesting team to monitor because obviously they just acquired 
Russell Wilson from Seattle. Now, again, I told you, I mentioned before, I am a Chiefs fan, so I will try to remove my Chiefs fan hat here. But even in doing so, I don't know, you know, the Broncos just lost Tim Patrick. I believe it was a torn ACL, something like that. He's going to be out for the season, or at least most of it. And while if you're not familiar with the team, you may think Tim Patrick, who's that? Is that a big deal? It, it is. It is. They have a couple other receivers. You know, they have Jerry Judy. They have Cortland Sutton. They have a couple others. What, KJ Hamler, I believe, is the other one. I could be wrong on that, but I believe he's the other one. They do have some weapons for Russell, but you never know how it's going to be whenever someone moves over to a new team. You just, you really don't know how it's going to be. Now, I think their new head coach could be pretty good for them. I really do. I think he has potential, but it's yet to be seen. Daniel Hackett, we don't know what he has and how he's going to mesh with Russell Wilson. So I think that is yet to be seen, but they do have a chance. I can't deny it. They have a chance. The AFC West, I would argue, is one of the strongest divisions maybe we've ever had in the NFL. I'd be interested, you know, leave a comment, you know, send some type of communication. If you could think of another division that was better, at least on paper and really even in practice, than this year's AFC West. Because Denver could really come out of it with Russell Wilson. And then, oh, by the way, you have the Chargers with Justin Herbert, who looks absolutely phenomenal. And we'll see how his career progresses. But he seems absolutely phenomenal. Oh, and then you have the Raiders, which Derek Carr is no slouch. Everyone kind of likes to, to dog on Derek Carr, like to make fun of him a little bit, you know. He can be a little cheesy at times. But I will give it to him. Even as a Chiefs fan, I love that he loves the Raiders. He embraces that image. He loves the people. He loves the fans. He loves the team and the organization. And now he added Devontae Adams. And I think that's really going to make a difference. So you have to go up against the Raiders as well. And then ultimately, yes, you have the defending AFC West champions. That is the Kansas City Chiefs. And I want to say it will be north of seven years since the Denver Broncos have last beaten the Kansas City Chiefs by the time they play this season. So without even being a fan or not, the Broncos have not done well in the last several years. Now, Russell Wilson could come in and absolutely change that. I think, personally, they're going to split the series with the Chiefs this year. I think each is going to win at home, and they're going to split. But either way, the Broncos really have an opportunity to go from worst to first. They do. Next, moving on to the Baltimore Ravens. Now, this shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. We're not looking for hot takes right now on this one. The Baltimore Ravens absolutely do have a chance to go worst to first. Now, don't get me wrong. It's going to be difficult. The Pittsburgh Steelers are a fantastic team historically, and Mike Tomlin runs a tight ship. But they are going through a bit of a rebuild. Ben Roethlisberger's moved on. He's moving into the sunset. His career's over. They've got Kenny Pickett coming in, Mason Rudolph. You also have from North Carolina. You have him coming in who really just could not get it done against Patrick Mahomes. And I feel bad for Mitch Trubisky because he really, again, talk about moving into a buzzsaw. That's a tough one to be compared to at all times, especially being drafted before Patrick Mahomes. That's a tough one. But Mitch Trubisky coming in there, you've got a three-way battle for quarterback, but I don't know that there's any stellar A-plus talent that's going to come from there. Now, George Pickens looks like he could be a good wide receiver, as far as you can tell from early in camp. We'll just have to wait and see on that. But I don't think they're going to make a whole lot of noise. 
So then you also have to consider the Cleveland Browns, which we're going to get, I'm going to get into a little bit later in this first episode. I'm going to do it. I'm going to tackle briefly the Deshaun Watson saga, if you will, my thoughts on the suspension, all of that and what it has to do with their season, how it's going to affect it and what's going to go from there. So we really can't make great predictions on the Cleveland Browns. If he's out for a long time, I think they don't even get near the playoffs. If he plays the season because of the appeal and whatnot, that's a different story. If he plays the season, the Ravens probably aren't going worse to first, but we'll just have to wait and see. There's no way to know at this point. Now, their biggest challenge is going to be the Cincinnati Bengals because Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase look like they are coming back with a vengeance. They got so close to the promised land and came up just short. And I don't know that they're going to have a hangover. I really don't. I think Joe Burrow is going to come in there and be all Joe cool again, and he's going to light it up. And so the Ravens are really going to have to get past the Bengals. And I don't know that they will, but if one of these teams were going to do it, I think the Ravens are a really solid choice. And then finally, we're going to end on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, I'm not going to dismiss them right away, as you might think, because Doug Peterson is a fantastic football coach. He is. He's won a Super Bowl. He can do the job. And I think when we're talking about an adult in the room, especially coming from last year, what they are leaving from the coach from before, which I won't even get into names, but you know if you follow football, the person that was occupying the position before compared to Doug Peterson is night and day. It's oil and water, it's completely different. And I think Doug's going to come in there from day one. What he's already doing is establishing a culture. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to benefit greatly because Doug has done his job before. He knows how to speak to quarterbacks. He knows how to get the best out of quarterbacks. He just does. Nick Foles is no, is, there's no better example than Nick Foles defeating Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. He can do it. I think Trevor already feels that. I've already listened to a few interviews from Trevor discussing Doug and his impact. I think it is obvious that he's going to make a positive impact there in Jacksonville. Now, I don't necessarily think they're going to go worse to first, but I really think they're going to make some improvements and be a functioning, competent football team. And I think that's really all you can ask out of Jacksonville. If you're a Jacksonville fan listening to this, I know there aren't many of you, but if you're listening to this, I think you have a chance but maybe next year is going to be your better option. Okay, now I know that was a bit long-winded, so we're going to take a little step back here for a second. Coming up next, I am going to dive into the uncomfortableness and the awkwardness that is the Deshaun Watson suspension and my thoughts on that coming up next. All right, now I'm going to move on to a little bit more serious topic. Obviously, I'm going to briefly touch on the Deshaun Watson scandal, saga, all his suspension, whatever you want to call it at this point. I'm going to try and not spend too much time on it because I know everyone's heard it before. So I'm just going to lay out a couple of the facts, where I think it's headed, and what I think should be done. So first, of course, if you've already seen this, you already know, but I'm going to give some background. Judge Sue L. Robinson, she came out with the ruling, if you will, of a six-game suspension. Now, it also included that the Cleveland Browns would be responsible for handling Deshaun's massages moving forward. 
which I think, you know, opens a whole other can of worms that maybe the Browns haven't considered yet, but I don't know how comfortable their employees are going to be with that, but we'll just have to wait and see. I know I listen to Nick Wright all the time, the What's Right with Nick Wright podcast. If many of you have heard of it, I'm sure. And he was briefly touching on that. And I think that makes a lot of sense that that might make a lot of people uncomfortable. And that's not exactly what they signed up for. So it's yet to be seen how that's going to play out. Now, my issue here is that how do you classify Deshaun with his actions and his behaviors? Because to me, it is clear that he cannot be a first-time offender if it is found more likely than not that he committed multiple instances of nonviolent sexual assault. It was found more likely than not. And I don't see how you can wrap all of those into one when it wasn't in one day. It wasn't with 22 plus women in one day's worth of massages, right? It was over many days, over many months, contacting over 60 or so different massage therapists. And I think that paints a pretty clear picture. To me, the six games is nowhere near long enough. But Judge Robinson felt she was bound by precedent. However, I would argue that Deshaun's actions are unprecedented. They're unprecedented. So I don't think it applies here. And I believe it should at least be extended to 12 games with a significantly higher monetary fine and mandated counseling. Now, the NFL and Roger Goodell have gone ahead and appealed. They are seeking an indefinite suspension, as of reports, of a minimum of one year, a considerable monetary fine, and like I said before, mandatory treatment that Watson must undergo. Now, it's interesting because Goodell chose not to hear the appeal himself, which is a right provided to him in the current CBA, or the Collective Bargaining Agreement. But he instead appointed former New Jersey Attorney General Peter C. Harvey to hear the appeal. And Peter Harvey is experienced in handling matters dealing with sexual assault and other related topics. And he's even assisted the NFL in reviewing, in reviewing personal conduct policy violations in the past. Now, the NFL will send a very clear message regarding its thoughts and feelings toward women and all victims of sexual assault, for that matter. They will. It's not a choice. It will be one or the other, one way or the other, but they are going to send a very clear message. And it's going to result at the, end of, or at the summation of this issue. We're going to find out what they feel. And the NFL needs to be on the right side of this and deliver such a strike that will leave absolutely no room for misinterpretation and that will also set the new and more appropriate precedent moving forward. Deshaun Watson should not get close to seeing the field for the Cleveland Browns until at minimum week one of the 2023 season. And no, I do not care that in doing so, it will make the story last until then. Because again, I was listening to Nick Wright and he was touching on this, that you know, the cynical version would be that the NFL would want to only go to 12 games, 10 or 12 games, because then it would be less of a story because it's going to be in the middle of the season. It becomes a big story again once he comes back. But by the end of the season, it's probably already moved on. The media is likely moved on. And certainly by the beginning of next season, it's back to business as usual. And that is unacceptable. This is an unprecedented sequence of events and actions by a player. And we need that same care taken by the NFL moving forward. 
regardless if it makes it a little bit more difficult and makes a bit more of a media storm and makes it last. I think they need to do this because, and they're already showing that they're going to, in a way, because they're appealing the decision. So they didn't accept the six games. But you need to do this to where it goes as much as possible because it's not worth getting past the story here in the interim, in the short term, for the message that it sends in the long term. And that would be that it's more important to get rid of a media headache than doing what is right. Now, whether that's what the NFL believes or not, they need to be very careful here. And just to reiterate, there is no way to know, of course, 100% what happened, you know, if any of it was consensual, if not. But I choose to believe women. And there are that many women, I find it very hard to believe that something didn't happen in at least some of those instances. And if that is the case, and if that really did happen, there is no place in that for society, and certainly not within the NFL, for the face of the franchise that gets the largest fully guaranteed contract ever. It is ridiculous. The Cleveland Browns should be ashamed and embarrassed, and there is no place for it whatsoever. There's just not. Now, I know that was a little bit more intense of a topic, especially for episode one, but it's important. And I believe, about being, or I believe in being honest and really attacking and addressing what happens in the world, regardless of if it's awkward or not. Now, stay tuned because our next and our final topic, we're going to move into a little bit less of an intense topic, if you will. I'm going to go ahead, coming up next, we're going to discuss Kevin Durant's trade controversy. So we're going to switch it up a little bit. We're going to move into the NBA. I'm going to briefly touch on my thoughts on Kevin Durant, why a trade hasn't happened, what I think is going to happen moving forward, and then we're going to wrap up the episode from there. But again, we're going to go ahead and get to Kevin Durant in just a moment, so stay tuned for that. Our final portion of the show today, our final topic for episode one of the Writer's Rhyme podcast is the Kevin Durant trade request and controversy. So first, we're just going to go over what's going on with it. So of course, if you've been following it all, you know, recently, Kevin Durant reportedly met with Nets Governor Joe Tsai and reiterated his trade request. He said he did not have faith in the direction of the team, but he did leave the door open for his return if Tsai is willing to move on from the current general manager, Sean Marks, and the current head coach, Steve Nash. Following this meeting, Joe Tsai responded by saying, our front office and coaching staff have my support and that we will make decisions in the best interest of the Brooklyn Nets. So there doesn't seem to be a resolution anytime soon. Now listen, you never want a player to openly demand and achieve this level of organizational control especially one that has shown a willingness in the past to up and leave when he feels like it, regardless of the backlash and public outcry. However, do not kid yourself, ladies and gentlemen, into believing this sort of thing does not already happen in certain circumstances throughout the NBA. Don't be naive. You know these sorts of people exist in your workplace as well. You do. You know the type. You're already thinking of them right now. The top performers are 
always, and I cannot stress enough, always give an extra leeway to operate with a different set of rules from the rest. It is not fair. I'm not saying it's fair, but it's a reality and it's just the truth. This sort of public demand does put pressure on ownership to really draw a line in the sand and it sets up the owner's or the governor's reputation moving forward, how he responds. Now, I think in this case, it may be worth it to move on from the GM and head coach if it means being able to retain a generational talent and first ballot Hall of Famer like Kevin Durant. I really do. It's not what you want to hear. You don't want to believe that's how the world works. You want to believe that they're not going to lose their jobs because a top player demands it. But sometimes these things happen. And I'm not even saying I agree with it, but they happen. And I do want to make this clear since this is the first episode of the Right as Ryan podcast. I am in favor of player mobility. And honestly, I am in favor of mobility for anyone with talent and ability. And I always listen to Colin Cowherd. And if you're listening to this, I'm sure you've heard of Colin Cowherd. The Herd, he is... One of my favorite, no, he is my favorite host, podcaster, you know, TV host, sports pundit, whatever you want to call him. He's my absolute favorite. I've watched him for years, and I absolutely am in agreement with him on this philosophy. I do not like the fact that a great player can get drafted by a horribly run franchise and essentially be held hostage for years on end before even being given the opportunity to test the free agent waters. I don't like it. Now, I understand that small market teams do need the ability to maintain a certain degree of control since many of their cities are not exactly known as the most desirable places on earth to live and move. I'm looking at you, Oklahoma City, which, by the way, is okay for me to say because I am an Oklahoma City Thunder fan and I've personally been to OKC. Nothing against the people. It's just the city is not exactly a free agent destination. It's just not. But really, the biggest issue in this whole trade request mess is the lack of a market for Durant services, even though he's under contract for the next four years. The ridiculous Rudy Gobert trade between the Jazz and Timberwolves royally screwed up the trade market. When Utah received essentially five first-round picks and four players for Rudy Gobert, which again, Rudy Gobert is a good player. He's a really good basketball player. But giving up that type of capital, draft capital and players for Rudy Gobert, how in the world is, can Brooklyn accept any less for Kevin freaking Durant? That doesn't make any sense. And well, spoiler alert, they can't. And so now Brooklyn is stuck in an impossible situation. And that is without even getting into mentioning or discussing the entire Kyrie Irving debacle and James Harden craziness that happened. Even though they've experienced some glimpses of real success over the last few years, they are now being put into an impossible situation. And I don't know how it's going to turn out. I really don't. A part of me thinks that he's just going to return, that he's going to go back. Now, I don't know if, if Josiah is going to Get rid of Sean Marks and Steve Nash? That I don't know. But part of me thinks he's going to end up back in a Nets uniform for this upcoming season. I really do. Because I don't know that you're going to get away from that Rudy Gobert 
comparison, at least not this year. Maybe if you wait until the trade deadline, maybe if you wait until next year and he still wants out, maybe then you, you've distanced yourself enough from that Gobert trade that you can say, hey, listen, you know what? That trade was ridiculous. It, it's not going to happen. Okay, we can settle for you know three first-round picks and a player or two. They were saying they wanted uh, either one or two all-stars plus picks. So that's just not going to happen right now. So this is going to play out for a little bit longer. I really do. I think it's going to play out for a little bit longer. So we're just going to have to see what happens. And selfishly, I'm just going to throw this in here because you know what? I can. This is the first episode of the podcast. This is my podcast. I'm going to throw it out there. And I know this is going to sound a little crazy. And it's not going to happen. But you know what I would be interested in? Kevin Durant going back to Oklahoma City. Can you imagine? LeBron did it. LeBron James went back to Cleveland and he won a chip. He won a title. Oklahoma City has a great young core right now. And what do they have? 30 first round picks in the next five years? I mean, come on. You know, it could happen. It won't. There is no way. It will not. But that is just my selfish Thunder fan redemption arc. And I'm sure Kevin has no interest in that whatsoever. But I think it would be such a great story. I mean, it writes itself. He comes back home. And then with the group, it depends on what we'd have to give up to get him. But if we retain some of the initial group that we have here, you have him with Chet. And I don't know if you can keep Chet. But you have him with Chet. You have some of these other players that we have right now that are really young and improving and have potential. I think it would just be a great story. Now, again, I'm not crazy. I'm not delusional. I know this will not happen, but I would love for it to. Phew. Okay. I've covered several topics today that I felt were worthwhile, and I have so many more to go. This was just episode one of the Right as Ryan podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. I appreciate it more than you can ever know. And I hope to have you back for the next episodes. Now, if you do want to help out and support the podcast, please make sure to follow and subscribe. Hit that bell to support the podcast so I can continue doing what I love. I want to continue bringing these to you. Have a conversation. I'm going to put a poll at the end of this asking what topics should I cover moving forward. Let me know what you want to hear about. But again, I appreciate every last one of you more than you can imagine, more than you could ever know. And again, this is the Ride is Ryan podcast, available anywhere you get your podcast today. Thank you for tuning in, and please let me know what topics you would like to hear me cover moving forward. Be good, be curious, and above all, be opinionated. Until next time.